My name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about their meditation, mindfulness, and yoga practices, and how those practices help them to tap in to creative flow. Today, I talked with Hannah Knapp, founder of Within Meditation in San Francisco. We talk about how meditation helps her be a better mom, how she helps beginners to learn the benefits of meditation, and how meditation helps us to evolve as a species. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom and hitting the subscribe button. Thank you. I'm Hannah Knapp. I'm the co-founder of Within Meditation. And Within is a drop-in meditation studio in downtown San Francisco, right in the heart of the financial district. And what we do there is we offer short, like 30-minute guided mindfulness meditation classes to help people get introduced to mindfulness meditation or to just sustain their practice and grow it in the midst of being at work, like before work, at lunchtime, after work. It's really what we're aiming for. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so then you get a lot of beginners who come into... We do. Yeah. We get lots of beginners. Uh, and how does that work? Has it, has it, um, what have you noticed about teaching beginners and the difference between teaching beginners and teaching um, more regular practitioners? My experience has been that beginners are really unsure of what's going to happen. And um, no matter how much they've read about meditation or talk to people who've done it, it's different when you sit down and you finally are doing it. And so when I'm leading a class that is mostly beginners, I really make sure that I'm giving a lot of guidance, mm. like a lot of suggestions about what to pay attention to, what to let go of. But the more people are experienced, the less they need that. Mm. The more they want just space and time and silence. Mm. And what they're really hoping for in those 30 minutes is just a break from all the chaos in their lives, oh. rather than actually being led through something specific. Absolutely. And how did you first get into meditation? I dove in headfirst with a 10-day Vipassana retreat. Mm. I had a dear friend whom I really admired just sort of how she was in her life. And I asked her, how did you get this way? Like, how are you this way? She said two things. I had a life coach and I sat a bunch of Vipassana retreats. Mm. And I said, okay, let's try it. Mm. And uh, so I did. And uh, doing that first 10-day retreat was really my initiation into meditation. And when was that? That was in 2012. 2012. Mm -hmm. Cool. And uh, which day was the hardest for you in the 10-day meditation? Oh, my God. Day three. <laughs> day three. <laughs> like, just enough into it to realize, wow, this is really hard sitting 10 hours a day. This uh -huh. is really hard. Yeah. Um, and not far enough along to start to be experiencing the kind of breakthroughs yeah. that happen. And maybe for our listeners who don't know what a Vipassana retreat is, could you go into more about what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So Vipassana is uh, insight meditation. So it's the style of meditation that all of the sort of popular mindfulness um, practices come out of. Um, so what you do in a Vipassana retreat is you are in silence for 10 days and you sit with... Um, a whole bunch of other people in a big room in sits of different lengths. Like sometimes they're three hours, sometimes they're an hour and a half, but no matter what, when you're sitting, you're just 
paying attention to what's actually happening right now without judgment. Mm. So you're trying to notice what's going on in your body um, in particular or in the sounds around you or um, whatever is a part of your experience in that moment without flinching, Mm. like without, you know, if you're experiencing physical discomfort, you're not moving Mm. to relieve that physical discomfort. You're just experiencing what it's like to be uncomfortable. And now do they, do they actually prevent you from moving or is that more of a self kind of censored thing? That is a self censored thing. So there are actually parts of the retreat where they explicitly say, okay, in this next hour, you challenge yourself to take that one notch higher. Mm. Really don't move. Really, really challenge yourself. And then others said, like, if you move, you move. More relaxed. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. For my own practice, I, I, um, my first 10 days, it was in Thailand at a monastery called Suan Mok. Um, and uh, many people don't know that that Goenka, who is the starter of Vipassana, mm-hmm. uh, he was from a Burmese lineage, mm-hmm. and then but in Thailand as well, they also have their own insight meditation, which isn't too different. Uh, but I've never actually experienced the Goenka ten day uh, style, so I've never done that before. Um, but I did one in in Suan Mok, and it was a great ten day silent meditation retreat. Um, and they always the, at the beginning they always say uh, day three is usually the hardest for most people. <laughs> and, so I was like expecting day three and day three wasn't the worst for me, but day eight was just, was miserable. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so uh, what was the major, did you notice a shift going through that Vipassana? Um, what was, what was it like coming out of the Vipassana? Uh, did your life kind of uh, change in a significant way? Did you come back to life in a different way than when you started? Or yes, actually, uh, in a pretty fundamental way. Around around day eight, um, in the evening talks, um, they, they give they recorded going uh, giving oh. a retreat, and that's what they do at all of the pasana retreats in the United States. They show him oh. giving these same talks. Oh. And their talks start talking about integration. How are you going to bring what you're learning in your retreat back into your life? And so in between sits, I was walking around the beautiful forest and, and asking myself, okay, how do I want to bring more love into the world? How am I going to do this? Am I going to work for a different company? Am I... And I kid you not, there was a voice in my head that said, well, Hannah, having a child is love incarnate. And I said, what? I had no intention of being a mom. I was with a, a partner I'm still with, I love, who wanted kids, but I didn't. And, um, and I said, this is crazy. Like, no way. no way. But because I was in such an open place, after all those days of just being with myself, I said, okay, that's a thought. I'm going to let that thought be and see what happens. And, and so I just let it marinate. And when I... Um, when I came back and started reintegrating, I just kept letting it marinate. And then about four months later, I turned to my partner and I said, I think, I think I'm ready to have kids. And so within six months of that retreat, I was pregnant with my first child. Yeah. Yeah. And has, has it been that what you expected it to be love incarnate, bringing love incarnate into the world? Well, that's a good question. I would say that becoming the process of becoming a mother, like the the whole process of being pregnant and giving birth and then being a mother now, two toddlers. um, I have never experienced love that is as pure as I do with my kids. Even when they're making me crazy, I truly love them unconditionally. And that's something that I've never experienced in my life before. Um, and so every day with them, especially because of this, this practice of about 
being here now, paying attention to what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. I'm so present with them and with whatever is going on for them that even when it's hard, it's amazing. And so in a sense, yes, Mm. it's a whole different level of love. And that reminds reminds me of the meta practice, loving kindness meditation. They tell they instruct people to take on this 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 aspect of love like you're holding your baby and you're just kind of you're like a mother and you're just holding love sending love unconditionally to that to that child and that's the that's how i was taught to do meta meditation so yeah really interesting and i think that when you haven't had kids or had some a child in your life who you care for that way it's really hard to i certainly didn't understand i sort of like mentally understood, but didn't understand on a heart level uh, what that meant yeah. until I actually had that little being in my uh, arms. Whoa. Like, whoa, this is like totally unlike any kind of love I've ever had before. Uh, so that's really cool. So you came back from Vipassana, had uh, two kids, mm-hmm. and then uh, where did you come up with the idea for Within? How did Within come about? So after being on the Vipassana retreat and than getting pregnant, I started thinking about how how can I help other people get exposed to this? Because honestly, while attending a Vipassana retreat, when you're in when you're in Thailand or in your Burma, like you know, like that's short for them. Like mm. ten days is like lightweight for them. Yeah. But it is intense when you're in America. Yeah. Like being able to get away for that long, even mm-hmm. when it's here, like I did it right here in, in Northern California. Uh-huh. I didn't go very far. Uh-huh. But just being away for ten days is hard. Yeah. So I was like, how can I help people get access to just a taste of this so uh-huh. that they start exploring whatever whatever way they want to get deeper into it. Uh-huh. And so for a number of years I was leading meditations inside of the offices I worked in. Mm. So I just started by reading scripts like, and telling people, we'll meet for 30 minutes and I'll guide us through a meditation with a script. Mm. And then as I kept doing that, I did that for about four years, I, I really started to develop my own script uh. um, and realized that there was I'm, I'm not, I don't think of myself as, you know, a wisdom teacher. I've not been doing this that long at all, mm-hmm. but I could see that there was something, there was something I had to offer here mm-hmm. in terms of opening that door for people. Mm-hmm. So that's really where the idea of within came from was what if we could create a space that was really very neutral, mm-hmm. that's very secular, if you will, mm-hmm. where people who were curious, mm-hmm. but didn't know yet that they want to sign on for something bigger could just try it with us mm, that's really cool uh and so when did you guys start we started a year ago a year ago yeah cool. so a year ago we started with pop-up meditation uh, events uh, and in june last year so nine months ago uh, we started the studio okay very cool um so for myself i've also worked in a lot of office environments mm-hmm. uh, and i was just in at a cryptocurrency event uh on tuesday uh, and it's really funny because I was in technology before and I got burnt out. I started a company, got burnt out. And that's what kind of led me to begin this meditation journey where I went around the w- world for two years doing 10 day Vipassana, not only Vipassana, but other styles of meditation mm-hmm. as well. And I, I came back and I was like, okay, so I know technology and I know meditation, right? You know, I'm getting to know meditation uh, uh, and then I, I want to bring together. Um, But then I've noticed that there's this tension in technology, especially with founders, uh, that is really intense. And Mm -hmm. it's just like this kind of like, uh, uh, it's this kind of like fire, but in concentration, but like, but 
just so overly focused on kind of this creative thing, but trying to essentially creating something from their head and trying to manifest it in the world mm -hmm. against all odds kind of thing. But it's, but what, what I've learned is that, that, that you kind of like, since I'm not in control over what happens to me and everything like that, it, it takes, a, it's, it can be easier to just kind of flow and find a flowing uh, mm -hmm. in it. Um, and so it, I, I don't really have a point, but essentially like it was this, this really interesting experience on Tuesday of meeting a founder like this, who I had met many times before, but I had stopped kind of interacting with and then reintroducing, re, uh, re introducing myself to this energy. Um, have you noticed this energy in, in, in like the financial district at all? Or that's a great question. I, my experience. So I actually have the experience of doing meditation in office environments as well as in the studio. Cause yeah. I still, even now I, as part of what within does, we go into companies when okay. we offer. Okay. So my first, my first thought when you brought up that story is that what I've noticed when I do go into tech companies, and so I've got a more sort of skeptical audience, uh -huh. if you will, mm -hmm. um, than in the studio where people are really self-selecting much more. Um, I, I've gotten the, the question, um, so, but what if I'm having a meditation and I have a really good thought, like I have a thought, an idea, yeah. right? I have yeah. that creative, yeah. you know, that, that I, I can make this something happen. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with having that thought. Mm. It's just a question of what are you doing right now? Mm. Is the point right now to be being creative in that way? Or is the point to be meditating, yeah. to being present with what's here right now mm. and actually helping create the space for them to let go of that intense, mm -hmm. focused, I'm creating something yeah. place uh -huh. in order to be still mm. with what's actually happening and actually then makes it easier yeah. to re-engage in the creativity. Yeah. And then lets it arise naturally. And yes. that's the thing. That's the main thing that I found when I was, cause I, I did the 10 day Vipassana in, in, in Suamok and then I did it multiple times actually. And I think on the third one I had an idea, I think a business idea about, about, um, people living in vans and stuff like that. So as, as rent prices get crazier mm. and as, as, uh, as, as human beings start to change the way that they live and particularly with self-driving cars, I feel mm. that people are going to start living in vans more. So I came up with this idea and the business and this thing, but I could not let it go. There was no <laughs> way I was letting it go. So like I was up at 2 AM, you know, oh. sleeping on this tatami mat, not able to go to sleep because this, this, oh. this idea was just running through my head over and over and over again. Um, and then I found out, I found this technique, an energetic technique of just essentially like, like actually visualizing it falling into the floor and, and then, and then inhaling back up what I need and kind of letting the idea go. And then if it comes to me again, then it's something to pursue. Mm, um, I love that. Yeah. The very specific way of yeah. letting it go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only way I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really intense. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. Do you, do you, cause now, cause that's your main focus now is, is working in the office and working with these people from the financial district. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what are the downsides to it? Do you, do you see any downsides to, to working with this energy or, um, to working with the energy or the, working with the kind of creative manic, uh, uh, creative energy that, 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 um, uh, that, uh, I don't know, um, that can be so intense, like mm -hmm. very intense. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, my experience in the studio has been that people show up there because they are run by their minds, mm -hmm. right? Like they are not like, rather than being in the driver's seat uh -huh. of whether it's with that particular kind of energy you're describing or with other kinds of energy, mm -hmm. they can't, they don't have a choice. They feel like they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice about what 
what they're thinking about when. And they can tell that that is making them crazy, Mm -hmm. that it's wearing them down. And depending on, you know, what kind of neuroses it comes out as, whether it's anxiety or depression or just very other ways that stress can manifest, like they're experiencing that and they're thinking, I need, I need a way out of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I'm not interested in taking a pill for this. Mm -hmm. And I am interested in investing in something that will help me Mm long-term. And that's when they start thinking about meditation. If they've heard about meditation, they get that it's not a, you know, a miracle drug. Mm -hmm. They get that it won't change things overnight, but Mm -hmm. they do get that there's the possibility that it will give them Mm -hmm. choice over time Mm -hmm. so that they're not Mm. run by wherever their mind wants to go. Mm. They get to choose which direction their mind goes. Mm. That's really interesting. It brings me to uh, kind of something that I've uh, dealt with in my own practice or dealt with my own teaching is that uh, when people come to meditation, they have an idea of what meditation Mm. is Mm -hmm. uh, and then that directs their meditation practice. And then how do you kind of offer them hints or subtly suggest that what they think of meditation is actually something different um, or what meditation is, is maybe different than what they think meditation is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, personally, when I'm teaching, what I like to do is um, keep the, the instructions that I'm giving in the guiding of the meditation, very simple and clear and pointed so that it's very clear what they are supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, so, so, and in mindfulness meditation, that really is just various different ways of paying attention to what's actually happening right now without judgment. Mm -hmm. And, um, afterwards when we're talking about, we always have time at the end of the class to talk about what, what was your experience? What questions do you have? And often new people will bring up like my mind wouldn't stop going Mm -hmm. and I'll say, yeah, of course it didn't. That's what your mind does. It thinks just Mm -hmm. like your nose smells, your mind thinks. Mm -hmm. And the point of this practice is actually not to stop thinking. It's to, to interrupt that Mm -hmm. cycle, Mm -hmm. um, and choose to come back to the present moment and do that over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. so they'll ask, so does it get better? Like, do I get better at it? What happens? What, how do I get better at this? And, and that's where, to your point, I can see them thinking like there's some, there's there's a, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, what I found is that you don't actually think any less, you just get better at better at catching yourself that you're thinking. Mm. And so you spend more time in that empty space after you've brought your mind back to the present moment, but Mm. you still keep running off Mm -hmm. to your thinking. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, what I think of when you ask that question is like, often people will think, have this idea that meditation is going to take them into a particular state Mm. or, you know, is, is going to stop the crazy in their brain or whatever. And, um, and so I really like to use both guiding the experience, Mm. um, and then talking about the experience afterwards to unpack that with Mm. them. And I actually find it really helpful to do that in a group Mm. because often there are other people in the group who are having similar thoughts, Mm. but might not want to ask about them. And they get to learn from the people who are willing to ask the questions, Mm. um, and bring it up. That's really, and that brings up an interesting point as well. Uh, for your own practice, uh, what is the difference for you between practicing in a group and practicing solo? Oh, wow. Yeah, they're really different for me. Uh, um, and I need both. Mm. That's actually one of the things I learned being on Vipassana retreat where you're in group all the time mm. um, was that I I knew I came out of that retreat like, with a very strong muscle of this is how I meditate. I know what to do when uh-huh. I sit down. Like, I've done it 10 hours a day for 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. 
but I didn't have a group that I could sit with. And when I sat alone, I could practice that technique and I could get really deep and that was really helpful. Mm. But it felt really different sitting with people on either side of me. Mm. And it felt really different having a teacher there mm. to ask questions of rather than just spinning on these questions in my head. Mm. Um, and so I went and I found a group that I could sit with and a teacher that worked for me that like I got his, his the way he wanted to teach was the way I wanted to learn. Mm. Um, and that helped support my practice on my own, helped me keep going mm. my practice on my own. Mm. And who is that teacher? Uh, his name is Michael McAllister, and he teaches a group called Infinite Smile that's out in the East Bay. Okay. And he is an ex-Zen monk. So okay. he comes from a Zen background, but he's very, uh, very secularized. Okay. So he's not... Like, Zen has a lot of ritual in it, and he doesn't do any of that. Mm. But his philosophy comes from Zen. Yeah. Um, are you reading any Dharma books right now, or do you have... Do you have what is your favorite book right now? My very favorite that I come back to again and again is The Power of Now. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, that particular book just strikes really deep chords in me. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started, when I first was introduced um, to Dharma, mm -hmm. uh, I started with Jack Cornfield. Uh -huh. I started with A Path with Heart, cool. which I still find is sort of such a loving, gentle, kind introduction to all of this. Power of Now is very like... It's, it's very else. immediate. Yeah, there yeah. is nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the point I am in my practice, that's really invigorating. Yeah. But I yeah. could also see it sometimes for beginners, that's great. Yeah. But sometimes it's overwhelming. That was the first book where I actually, that started my mindfulness practice, I'd say. Mm. Power of Now was the first book where I actually got an experiential understanding of what it is to live in the current moment. And, yes. Um, yeah, and it was a really powerful book for me. Yeah. Have you read any Krishnamurti? No, I haven't. Yeah, Jay Krishnamurti is—he's the one I'm reading the most right now, and uh, it's just like, mind-blowing. Something about what he says just kind of strikes a deep chord inside me. Um, mm. He's all about—well, don't say all about—but he—he—he uh, he, he says that a lot of what humans are dealing with, a lot of the things that we create inside of our head, is all based on this kind of fundamental fear of uncertainty um, mm -hmm. and death. And, and, and that we create these worlds so that we can live secure in these worlds and everything like that. And so, and then it's all about questioning and uh, inquiry and asking these questions like, where does thought begin? Where does thought mm -hmm. end? Where, where, what is thought? What is it made of? What does it consist of? Um, he's really very powerful. I highly recommend reading him. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Check him out. Yeah. Um, where do you see Within going next like six months or so? Mm. Well, the first thing that I want for Within is just to fill the classes. Uh -huh. um, it we we have right some regular students and we have lots of people who try it. Mm -hmm. um, we don't yet have like a, a community that's mm. building and mm -hmm. it feels like it's coming and it's growing, but it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm an impatient founder. I mm -hmm. want it yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I want in the next six months is to feel like in every class, we've got mm. enough people in the room that it feels mm. fantastic to be there, no matter whether you're the teacher or you're mm -hmm. the student, mm -hmm. um, and and to feel like we're really reaching a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I'm working with um, with within right now is just figuring out how do we how do we reach more people who yeah. could benefit from mm -hmm. this? Because mm -hmm. sort of the traditional channels are not like talking about meditation. You don't really no, yeah. <laughs> and the whole idea of selling meditation as well. How do you sell meditation? Uh, <laughs> you're selling something that basically deconstructs the thing that the person wants to is buying from. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And there's also honestly like there's their whole 
pieces of meditation tradition where you don't charge for it at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's also mm-hmm. sort of some tension there. Yeah. And that, what do you think of Headspace? And because now it's it's mm-hmm. now changing, so now people are are paying for meditation with Headspace, mm-hmm. um, and and it has brought a whole ra- a lot of people into into meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on on Headspace and the way that that's affected people's practices? Well, my thought on not just Headspace, but all of the apps, because there are lots of them yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Headspace and Calm sort of led the way there, is that they can be a great way for people to. L- sort of very light touch, check it out. Mm -hmm. But honestly, we get a lot of refugees from apps in the studio, Mm -hmm. people who've tried to meditate with apps and then they got stuck Mm -hmm. and they didn't have anybody they could talk to about it. Mm -hmm. And they did like either people who were practicing with them Mm -hmm. or a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of leaves you Mm -hmm. high and dry um, if you get stuck Mm -hmm. and if you progress far enough, then you find you don't need it. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like it's the apps, the meditation apps serve a very particular purpose, Mm -hmm. but they don't feel to me like they, um, they're the end all be all Mm -hmm. for anybody. I've Mm -hmm. never talked to anyone who just meditates with an app Mm -hmm. who feels like they're serious about their meditation practice. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And also it seems like it just gets people in the door. Uh, and then uh, they kind of have an idea of what meditation is, but then the real beauty of meditation, a lot of what I got from instruction in, in Swan Mok and, and sitting with you guys within meditation was that uh, the essentially same moment, everybody in the same room is on the same page, essentially, whereas mm-hmm. yeah, pre-recorded things um, are separated in time and space from from the, the actual listening of it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I... I, I and I think more people will start to realize that because now they've got the headspace and now they're like, okay, now what is the next step? Okay, let's go to within. Let's try an in-person meditation and stuff like that. So I think, I think, I think they're doing a really good job of essentially getting a mass appeal starting to come into meditation. Yes, um, yes, and also making it really clear, especially with some of them like Simple Habit and some of the other ones where they are really focused on the short meditations. Uh, uh-huh. Um, or butterfly is mm-hmm. the one that really like, it's really about like, you're standing in line, here's a meditation for you. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things I actually like about it is that it's encouraging people to think mm-hmm. of meditation as something that you can do anywhere. Uh-huh. You don't have to have a dedicated space or, you know, oodles of time. Uh-huh. You can, yeah. and you'll get one experience if you take the time to invest that way. But you can also take the minute you have at the stoplight. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you, in, at, at within, how do you uh, um, instruct the students about that? How do you mm-hmm. kind of let them, do you have any tips or guidance for people to bring the practice into their daily lives? Yeah, I really like to end the, the classes with some idea for them to take into the day ahead. Yeah. Um, so... One of my favorites is intention setting. Mm-hmm. So helping people as they're coming out of being in this meditative state and they're starting to move into their days, really be intentional about what do I want this day to be about mm-hmm. from that place of stillness and you know not from the to-do list and achievement and whatever, but mm-hmm. really what do I want mm-hmm. in this day? Mm-hmm. And that that helps keep, helps, helps blend the two together. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, honestly, I find in the 30-minute format in the studio, there isn't much time mm-hmm. for that, mm-hmm. um, for, for that integration mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some that happens in the conversation at the end, mm-hmm. too, sometimes, if people ask for specific ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I really get to do that is when I go into offices mm-hmm. and I do an hour-long workshop where we do both, here's, what, here's the research on meditation, mm-hmm. Um, here's the, what, and then practicing meditation and then talking about, Mm. okay, here are 
different ideas for how you can put it into action. And one of my favorites is what I just said about the stoplight, like having, having some trigger, if you will, although there's such negative connotations with mm-hmm. that word, um, in your life when, whenever it happens, that's your cue to stop and take a breath and mm. notice what's going on. Mm. My last guest, uh, Andrew Murray Dunn, we, we, uh, we talked about it after the podcast, uh, but he had really great triggers. One of, one of which was if you get the intention to, um, check your phone, mm. you wait until the fourth intention to check your phone. Mm. And by that time it might go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is you, you get the, you get the idea. I want to check my phone. You look outside the window, you try to find a tree. Um, mm. uh, and that changes the whole the whole kind of thing. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. Especially, I know he's so interested in decoupling from technology uh-huh. and that's really, yeah. I can see how both of those would really help you with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've started to use them now too and they work, they work well. So, yeah. That's cool. The other thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is that like we were talking about earlier, I'm a mom, I have two toddlers mm-hmm. and honestly the place where I am most challenged as well as most mm-hmm. invested in my practices with my kids mm-hmm. And, um, and I find that when I'm starting to feel, when I'm starting to notice that I'm getting angry or frustrated, you know, my, my two-year-old is refusing to come upstairs and get dressed and we need to get out the door, you know, like that's the, those are the kinds of frustrations that my life is full of as a mom of toddlers, right? And when I feel the frustration rising because of this practice, I'm able to notice that that's happening and stop and either, you know, just decide I have a choice. I can just take a breath and Mm -hmm. see if it diffuses. I can articulate to my toddler, I'm starting to feel really frustrated. Mm -hmm. And then it often dissipates. Mm -hmm. I can, if it doesn't, I can say, I'm starting to feel really frustrated. I need to go take a few breaths in the other room Mm -hmm. and go in the other room and take a few breaths. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just stopping in that moment, I notice, hey, is it really that important that we leave right now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is this really that big of a deal? And sometimes it is like, there's some reason we really, most of the time it's really not. It's It's just, yep. 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 And, uh, and so that's where I find the mindfulness integration happening the Mm -hmm. most for me is Mm -hmm. in regulating my emotions. If you will, like Mm -hmm. really paying attention to them, seeing that they're happening Mm -hmm. and then making choices for how I want to play with them. Mm -hmm. That's, that brings a great point, which is, uh, with mindfulness practices, there seems to be two avenues that you can you can go with when any sort of cognition or any sort of negative or positive um, uh, cognition comes into your to your awareness is you can regulate your emotion towards it or you can just become aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you use that? When do you use each one, or do you find yourself using different? regulation versus awareness? I do. And it, for me, it depends in a lot of ways on the intensity of the emotion mm. and on the context. Yes. So if I'm just sitting in meditation, I'm definitely just going to be in awareness. Yeah. I'm going to just mm. notice whatever is happening, ride whatever wave, because it's just me and my emotion. I'm not impacting anybody else. Yeah. Mm. When I'm with my toddler, mm. like the stake there is like, I, the last thing I want to do is end up yelling at mm. my toddler. Yeah. And so if I'm feeling like just being aware of the emotion isn't allowing it to diffuse and run its course, then I'm going to take steps uh-huh. to regulate it, yeah. right? I'm mm-hmm. going to say, I'm going to, art, I'm going to use affect labeling. I'm going to mm-hmm. say, I'm feeling angry. And often that yeah. makes it right, just like we were just talking about or mm-hmm. breathing. Yeah. Do you have, so in, in another difference I noticed between yogic techniques uh, and and more mindfulness-based in Buddhism or Zen is that uh, there isn't much breathing exercises in, in Buddhist mm-hmm. meditation. Do you use any breathing exercises? I don't. Uh-huh. No, not in my meditation at all. Uh-huh. I mean, in 
in uh, in Vipassana, in the first three days when you're on retreat, you're doing Anapana uh -huh. meditation. So you're focusing specifically on feeling the breath and the space between the tip of your nose and your upper lip. Mm. So sometimes when I'm meditating, I use that mm. technique. Uh -huh. um, but really, that's not about controlling your breath mm -hmm. still. Yeah. It's about noticing your yeah. breath. Uh -huh. So I don't practice any control, breath control uh -huh. exercises. Yeah. Uh, some of them are great. I highly recommend. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For me, I had to. I, I, um, I was a reverse breather, uh, so it meant that my um, when I inhaled, my abdomen would go in as opposed to expanding out. Oh and wow. I would breathe only in the chest, uh, and and so. Uh, for me, when I first started mindfulness meditation, I couldn't just become aware of the breath because mm -hmm. there would be so much anxiety uh, mm -hmm. associated with it. So I learned how to uh, regulate the breath. Um, and then through those regulation practices, I was able to kind of uh, learn how to breathe through the diaphragm. Um, and then and now I'm now I'm kind of discovering what's going on in my chest and my neck and stuff like that. And these, these breathing exercises just kind of come to me like it's really interesting. I, I was reading this article um, about a photographer who uh, is going around uh, taking pictures of people in their yoga practices, mm -hmm. uh, and he had a picture of a of a of a, um, a sannyasi or a, uh, a holy man in the in the Ganges River who was just kind of laying in the river, and he's practicing this breath technique, plumdov, uh, plumdov, I think it's called, uh, plumdov plavani, uh, and you essentially inhale to your maximum capacity, and then you exhale just a little bit, and then you inhale at that peak, and then inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's been like it's allowing me access into my chest, uh, into the breathing apparatus of my chest in ways that I haven't had before, which is really cool. Wow. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm doing a yoga therapy training mm -hmm. program right now, and, uh, and uh, we're, we're learning yogic techniques in order to help people with intense medical conditions. Uh, and a lot of them are breathing, breathing techniques and stuff like that. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, and I certainly like my first step, interestingly, with with my older toddler, with my four year old now, when he's upset is to encourage him to stop and breathe. Uh -huh. And what we're really doing together there is regulating, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not just asking him to notice uh -huh. this breath. I'm asking yeah. him like you're in full blown panic, uh -huh. like actually consciously breathe. Uh -huh. Right. Is he resistant to it at all or? Uh, he's not resistant. Okay. He's more just con like he's he doesn't understand that it's a tool yet, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. he's he's used it sometimes, but he doesn't yet hasn't yet made that bridge into oh that's something I can a tool mm -hmm. I can pull out myself when I need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I got I got to do the thing with my nephew. I I had come back from a meditation retreat. And he was like five years old at this time, and so I wanted to share it with everybody, and I was mm -hmm. trying to share it with my family, and it was just wasn't working at all. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it at all until he saw me. Uh, uh, sharing something with my mom. Uh, and then once he saw me helping my mom with a breathing exercise, then he started doing it with us as well. Um, but over the past couple of years, I've just kind of totally stopped trying to do anything in that, in that area. Cause it's just like, it's not, it is something it's not right. <laughs> yeah. It's so difficult with family. Um, for me, I don't know. <laughs> yes. When, um, when I was at, I was at wisdom 2.0 a few weeks ago mm -hmm. and I went to one of the talks that John Kabat-Zinn gave and it was on specifically on teaching mindfulness. Uh -huh. And 
And, uh, and one of the questions someone asked was, so, so, you know, how do you, how do you share this with the people you love? Cause this is, you want them to have this teaching. And, and he's like, you don't <laughs> like, he's like, you want your kids to learn it, have them learn it from someone else. Yeah, like, yeah. and just have them see you do it, yeah. you know, let them learn from your example, mm-hmm. but yeah. don't try to push it on the yeah, people yeah. that you love the most. Yeah. Cause they'll run far away from it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. What's the main thing that's changed about the way that you interact with people uh, after you started meditating? It's interesting you ask that question, and where my mind goes is what's different is my awareness of how I am a player in the relationship mm-hmm. with the other person. Mm-hmm. So things that I used to think like, were were the other person, yeah. you know, pushing my buttons or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. you know, blaming them for something. I became much more aware of, wow, like I'm having this reaction and this completely other thing is going on with the other yeah. person. And so I can choose then, mm-hmm. like, how do I want to engage with them about where they are? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that that translates into the experience other people have of me is um, I became much more um, empathic, mm-hmm. much, much more, um, willing to let my heart show and to connect from my heart with people mm. rather than trying to maintain this front mm. of I've got it all together mm. and I'm, I've got it all figured out mm-hmm. and I know exactly what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I let myself be messier mm. in a way. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've, I've also gone through something similar in the past, uh, re- past couple of weeks, realizing that just, uh, I'm having the reaction. Someone else is having a reaction. And I am not party to that. Mm-hmm. And they are not party to what I've got going on either. And it's like, it's so difficult sometimes because, you know, you've had intense experiences as children, especially related to groups or uh, uh, adult family figures or anything like that. And then those things are playing out all the time in our conditioned behavior. And that's mm-hmm. not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way humans exist, but it just leads to a lot of really, uh, difficult relationships because we all have, we have these movies inside playing inside of our heads that are just totally opposite movies and not totally opposite, but totally different movies. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's very difficult, uh, especially I think in our culture where we had the enlightenment and we had, uh, this kind of identification with thought as, mm-hmm. the, as the, the most important thing going on in, in human existence, where it's like thought is a part of human existence, mm-hmm. but there are other parts of it are, that are also important. And I certainly grew up in a household where like my, my, my personality in a lot of ways is defined by my relationship with my older sister. And Mm. she was very, is still like very expressive of Mm. emotion. Mm. And my parents and I are not, Mm. and I really like learned not to be like her. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a lot of my journey through, through meditation and also just through my late twenties was figuring out how do I, how do I tap into and release Uh that other intelligence, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you done any work or uh, uh, worked with any teachers who talk about the unconditioned mind at all? Or have you heard that term? I have heard okay. that term, but mm-hmm. I haven't worked with teachers who, who mm-hmm. emphasize it. Yeah. So I've started working with a teacher who that's always, always about any, any, any basically he doesn't, he, when we sit together, he, he, it's, it's remote. So I've actually never met him in person. Mm-hmm. He's in Israel. Uh, and so when we sit together, um, we, uh, he's like, there's nothing special to do here. We're just having a conversation. You can keep your eyes open. You can keep your eyes closed. Um, and then he keeps on just kind of guiding me into this state, which is both 
the unconditioned mind and the conditioned mind, because the unconditioned mind is always there. It's there. There's part of us is totally unstruck by the conditions outside of us yes. and tapping into that kind of like that place inside of us. That's, that's, um, uh, yeah, just not conditioned by, by the, the various experiences that we've been through and stuff like that. I, I find it very powerful, also very slippery and difficult to, um, put into words. And, yeah. And, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and that, one of the things that my teacher talks about that I love is that we're all, we're all trying to talk about something that you can't talk about. Uh, like we're all, yeah. the words are just pointing in a direction. Mm-hmm. They can't define it. Um, and that's the beauty of it. And also super frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as somebody who works in companies, I'm, I'm curious to, to what you think as more, as a lot of things become automated and as technology kind of takes away a lot of the things that we traditionally do as human beings, um, what is the role of meditation in this world, in that world where maybe a lot of the jobs go away? What is this role? What is the role of meditation um, in mindfulness? And, Wow. Well, I would say that my hope for the role of meditation is that the more people who are conscious, who mm. become aware of themselves as some, as that unconditioned mind, right, mm. as something that is not affected by what's around them, mm. um, the, the more we're able to connect with each other's humanity mm. and, and, and get beyond and above or whatever, you know, word you want to use mm. from the, the transactional and very you know, material mm. level on which we all interact with each other right now. Cause mm. we're still, you know, trying to, trying to make sure we eat and trying to make sure we have houses, you know, shelters and so forth. Mm. Um, but I think there's actually the possibility that we can collectively break beyond needing that to define how we live our lives. Mm. Like if really we believe from our own experience through meditation mm-hmm. that actually what's important is none of this mm-hmm. around us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then all of the conflict around all of this stuff around us goes away. Mm-hmm. And that like, what, as I'm talking about it, I'm like, that's crazy. How are we ever going to get to that? Like, <laughs> yeah. like I don't know, uh-huh. but it's to me, it's the, there's so many more people all the time who are interested in this and practicing this. Mm-hmm. Like there's, got to be something there about an evolution um, of our collective consciousness. Do you think that meditation is, what is the relationship between meditation and evolution? Um, is there one, or I mean, individual evolution or species-wide evolution? Um, do you think there is a connection between meditation and evolution? Well, I'm really curious uh-huh. about why we seem to, as human beings, uh-huh. we seem to have this ability uh-huh. to mm-hmm. Meditate to tap into this this consciousness, mm-hmm. right? To turn awareness in on itself. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and it doesn't appear. We don't know, but it doesn't appear that other beings mm-hmm. have that. Mm-hmm. And and any more than like there are there are lots of things that we have that other beings don't, right? Like our ability to manipulate tools is way beyond any mm-hmm. other. And that's evolution. Mm-hmm. So maybe this consciousness piece is part is evolution too, mm. but it's also, it's like this double edged sword, just mm. like our ability to mm. use tools, yeah. right? Like that, that ability to have that consciousness is a huge responsibility mm-hmm. to be able to use that for the good of all beings mm. and not just to somehow, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Interesting. 
Yeah, and it's the same thing with consciousness. The double-edged sword of, of excitement is anxiety. The fact that we can experience yeah. uh, excitement also means we can experience anxiety. That's really interesting. And animals, I think, particularly, I mean, you see it in dogs. You see anxiety in dogs, but I think that's because they have, they've co-evolved with human beings. And But I don't think you see it outside. I think you, in, if you look at nature, animals in nature, you know, uh, a lion attacking a, a deer or something like that, the deer runs when it's in threat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a space really for anxiety there. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, but there's watchfulness. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they're waiting to see, make sure, okay, is there a predator around? But uh-huh. there's not like stressing about the predator that isn't there. In the future. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is what we do, right? <laughs> yeah. With these amazing minds. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. For me, I, I, um, meditation seems, it seems on an individual level that, that my consciousness is evolving. And, and there is something about, epigenetics like mm-hmm. like yeah. how, how we we essentially um change our genes by doing a behavior um mm-hmm. and then we pass you know if i were to have kids 10 years ago it would have been different than if i have kids now because mm-hmm. i've done a lot of i had a lot of experience i've been conditioned in a lot of different ways um that have all been reflected in my genes um and i feel like meditation has a, has a place somewhere in there um Yeah. I mean, I even felt that with the way that I went through the pregnancy with my, especially with my first child was just like to be going through it with the degree of consciousness that I had at the time, you know, six months after the Vipassana retreat, Mm. it's still like Mm. pretty heightened (laughs) in terms of my, my awareness Mm. internally, especially because Vipassana is such a practice of noticing what's going on internally. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that on some level impacted how he formed mm-hmm. inside of me, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. Did you, how was the breathing at the time of giving birth? Was it, was it, what do you think your meditation practice helped? Oh you? my goodness. Yes. <laughs> you know, what was, what I, what was so amazing to me about giving birth to him um, was because of this intense focus I had on being here now, mm-hmm. on really just noticing everything and having so much practice being with discomfort. Because mm-hmm. pregnancy is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Giving birth is uncomfortable, like no question about it. But mm-hmm. I I was so keenly aware of the difference between experiencing intensity mm-hmm. and interpreting it as pain mm-hmm. that I honestly, through that whole process of giving birth, did not experience pain. Whoa. It was incredibly intense. It yeah. is beyond intensity of yeah. any physical experience I've ever had. Huh. But I never had those moments of like, I can't do it, or like, it hurts too much, or yeah. whatever. It was yeah. just like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now I'm waiting for the next breath. Huh. Oh. So, I, so I did a, a yoga tree. I did a, a prenatal weekend uh, yoga, yoga mm-hmm. teaching and right afterwards I talked to my teacher about and he's like oh pregnancy that's really interesting that's a perfect example of the condition and unconditioned mind because it's something that happens your body just starts reacting you know mm-hmm. it's like immediately after like 30 days or something like that the body is already reacting starting to release hormones and everything like that and yeah. it becomes outside of your control right? totally yeah. and it's incredible to experience that happening in your body uh, and just well. be like <laughs> it's such a letting go uh-huh. and just allowing mm-hmm. wow this is this is what my body's need to do and mm. I can just let it do it. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting I'll never ever experience it. I know. It's, it's sad to me yeah. that only half of us get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I think we've got about five minutes left. Um, how can people uh, find within meditation? So the very best and easiest thing to do is come to our website. So it's withinmeditation.com or uh-huh. you can just Google Meditation Studio San Francisco and we come right up. And you can come in person. We are um, 
on Sutter at Montgomery, yeah. 110 Sutter. Um, so truly right down downtown in, the in San Francisco. Yep, in yeah. San Francisco. That's so cool. And uh, what is the most exciting thing you've got planned for the next six months with with, with them? Well, we are doing a lot. We're having a lot of conversation around events oh, right now mm-hmm. and starting to get back into having periodic events. I was just meeting with some of my teachers yesterday about creating um, periodic, hopefully monthly events mm-hmm. where our teachers create an experience. It's a combination of guided meditation Mm. and um, authentic connection Mm. between the people in the room. Mm. So that you come and you get settled and through meditation, you're in that more still and authentic place yourself. And then you have a way to connect in conversation with um, one or two or three other people Mm. in the room with you Mm. from that place, Mm. genuinely and authentically. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, One thing I've noticed when I do group meditations, I the med- practice of meditation brings me in, and as an introvert, it then also makes me more introverted, so it becomes more <gasps> difficult to speak with people right afterwards. Yes. Uh, so I'd, I'd highly recommend thinking about some way to uh, to help those introverts, but I'm not. I don't. I don't know what that would be. Well, and you know, in my experience, it's been really helpful to um, to offer specific prompts yeah. mm-hmm. and also to have it be in pairs, yeah. like to let mm-hmm. it be as intimate as possible. Yeah. Um, so that it doesn't feel like I'm sharing all of me with too many people. It's like I've got one other person and we're just sharing about this one thing, like making it very contained. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's one way, but I'm uh-huh. sure there are others. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This has been really amazing to interview you. Thank you. I really appreciate being able to talk about all of this. Yeah. Obviously, I care a lot about being here now. Cool. <laughs>